appreciate the way that everybody has already been uh, singing and the way that you have been encouraging those who are around you. You see these uh, banners that are up here on the stage? Uh, this is something that we have been talking about uh, going on nine weeks now. It's hard to believe. As we've been going on a journey here as a congregation, talking about our mission, our passion, the expectations that God has for us, and the way in which he desires to, to use us here within our city, within our context here in Chattanooga. And so I hope that over the last few weeks you've been able to participate in the different studies that we've had. Maybe you've been going online and uh, picking up things there, listening to our podcast uh, to be able to stay up with the different things that we're talking about. Because we truly believe that these lessons are foundational to who we are as a church body. And we want everyone to be able to, uh, to participate and to be able to, to, to chew on the things that we are, we're talking about together. You know, in the beginning, when individuals said, you know what, I, I think I'm going to put my faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm going, to, I'm going to alter my life around his message. There were no buildings, there were no budgets, uh, there were no liturgies, there was no hierarchy, there was no headquarters, it was just a group of, of people on a mission giving witness to things that they had seen and the things that they had also heard. They weren't just talking about things that were in a galaxy far, far away. This was something that they had experienced. And because of their experience, they wanted others to be able to participate. And so it was pretty simple. Uh, this guy over here told that guy over there and well, this lady told that lady and that guy told her and, and she told him and and it was just one thing after another, telling people about Jesus. They, they re-envisioned their lives around his, his teachings. And, and they started in Jerusalem, and then they expanded out to Judea. And they went out a little further to the areas of Samaria, where people did not always get along and agree with one another. And then city by city, and country by country, and continent by continent, the message of Jesus, it spread. It spread like wildfire. It was a movement that was on fire. And when a couple of their number reached the city of Thessalonica, Thessalonica was 3,000 3, miles away from Jerusalem. And when a couple followers of Jesus reached that city, the people there said, the men who have turned the world upside down have come here. Now that's some impact. I mean, that, that is a change that is taking place. And it was outward focus, and it was a Jesus-centered movement, and it had results. And then something happened. The movement gained acceptance, and the movement got buildings, and the movement got organized, and the movement got, in many ways, lost. And before long, the, the fire that burned began to fade. And the message began to change. And the focus was lost. The movement that was birthed around the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus began to turn inward. But when you look at your Bibles and you see those first believers in the book of Acts, you don't see anything that actually resembles what that movement now in our world has become. 
the idea of church. Their life was Jesus-centered. It was others-focused. You read about a forgiving, sharing, and telling group of people. Their rallying cry, what mattered most, was that Jesus is the Messiah, the resurrected Son of God. And if you believe that, you're in. And if you don't believe that, well, we still love you because we're not enemies. But we have experienced something that is so great and so wonderful that we want you to know about it. And here's what it says in Acts 2.47, that they enjoyed the goodwill of the people. People liked those who were part of that early movement. And consequently, the church got big quickly. Because they were not focused just on themselves. Now the danger for anyone who comes out of that movement, for anyone who calls themselves church, is to get caught up in what that movement, what that church can offer for them, and forget that they're a part of the moving, active mission of God. Now one of the ways that you know if the church is still on mission is by listening to how the church prays. You see, the church's mission is empowered by the church's prayers. These slogans that you see up here on stage, uh, the idea that we have one mission, moving people toward a life-restoring relationship with Jesus Christ, you know that that does not happen just based on your own ingenuity and ability, right? That living out a passion of, of loving God and sharing His grace, that impact does not come unless God is involved in that, right? But it's not about just putting up slogans. It's not about just t-shirts and sweatshirts. It is about asking God to be mighty in our midst. Asking God to do great things. You see, big churches on God's big mission pray big prayers. Now, I want you to think about our prayers for a minute. Think about kind of what's in common with our prayer. Or maybe I should say who is common in our prayers. If every one of your prayers over the last year was answered, who would benefit most? Probably you, right? I mean, the person that would, that would benefit most is probably going to be you. It's probably going to be me. Because we pray for ourselves a lot. And we pray for our family and we'll include two or three sick people. And the things that we pray about, if you think about it, really don't tax God's ability that much. We pray for safety. We pray for tests. We give a lot of thank you for's, this and that. And I wonder, do you think that God just might be saying, I know you're thankful for this day. And I know you appreciate the meal that you have. And, and I know that there are a lot of things that are going to go happen in your life. I understand that. But just try me. And test me. Would you just for once pray for something big? Do you think God ever wonders? Do you think he ever says that about you? Does he say that about me? As a father, as a husband? It's like, Chris, I just wish you'd ask for something big one day. 
I know all of the prayers of protection and the hedge around us and all of this wrap our children in bubble wrap and, and, and God if you would you know yes this and that but it's just all these menial things that you go through each and every day why don't you ask for something big big churches on big mission pray big prayers so here's what happens one day the day of Pentecost 3,000 people say I believe they were baptized and boom God's movement this church experience was launched a little while later two of their leaders Peter and John they were walking to the temple the hub of the Jewish religion and Peter and John are Jews, and, but now they're followers of this teacher, Jesus. And so it brings in a little bit of tension, and it brings some conflict with the Jewish religious establishment. And they encounter a man who Scripture says was lame, that he could not walk. Now, we don't use that term very much anymore. In fact, um, I did hear my, my, my kids use it last night, where my daughter told my son that he was lame. And I was like, he can't walk. But he could. I was like, what? It's just different now, right? You're like, oh, that's, he's so lame. Really? Anyway, all right. So when you see the lame in the Bible, it's all about the, the, the dude can't walk, all right? And he's been that way for a long time. So this is happening in Acts chapter 4, if you want to open your Bibles there so that you can read along and see what's taking place. He's asking for money and... He's trying to survive. Peter and John tell him, you know, we don't have any money to give you, but we have something that's even better. And in the name of Jesus, they tell him to get up and to walk. And the crazy thing is, is that he does. He gets up and he follows them into the temple. Now, people recognize him because he had been there a good while and, and, and they knew this guy. We'll just call him Kevin, all right? And so they're like, hey, there's Kevin. And word begins to spread about, about Kevin and all this frenzy is over Kevin. And so everyone starts to gather around Peter and, and, and John. And so Peter just decides, hey, I'll preach a sermon. Because that's what Peter does a lot in Scripture. He gets a crowd and he just starts to preach because he can't help but talk about Jesus. And so he talks about Jesus and he, he continues to talk about Jesus. And about in the middle of it, he starts talking about this word called resurrection. And Luke tells us that by the end of the day, the 3,000 that were present in Acts chapter 2 have now grown here in chapter 4 to 5,000. So now 10% of the population of Jerusalem, they have aligned themselves with this Jesus group. And the Jewish leaders are not happy about this. And also whenever... Peter would preach, he would point out to those who were listening and say, oh yeah, by the way, your leaders crucified Jesus. He didn't really go around trying to win friends and influence people. Peter and John, they get arrested by the religious leaders. They are imprisoned and for the night. And the next day, Peter and John, they're brought before the Jewish leadership council, the ruling court, the Sanhedrin, and they're asked about the source of their healing power. Peter says, I'm glad you asked. And since we have a group assembled here, let me preach. And he does. And he begins to talk again about Jesus as the Christ. And how he was crucified. And how he was raised from the dead. And as he concludes, this is what he says. And it really bugs some people. He says, salvation is found in no one else. 
For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And that's kind of narrow, isn't it? I mean, why didn't Peter just slow his roll and say, you know what? Jesus was a good guy. Moses was a good guy. Abraham. Abraham was a good, a good guy. Why can't you just expand the circle a little bit? But Peter said, there's only one. There's only one name. There's one mission. And this really bothered the religious leaders who were listening. But they had a bigger problem. It says that the members of the council, they were amazed when they saw the, the courage of Peter and John. Because they realized that they were just ordinary men. They didn't have any kind of special training. But they took note that these guys had spent time with Jesus. And they also, it says, could see Kevin. <laughs> it's like they saw the man who had been healed standing right there among them. There he is. There's Kevin. And there was nothing that the council could say. So they look at Peter and, and John. They're like, all right, look, we're going to let you go. We're going to let you go. But, but you have to stop talking about this Jesus guy. You've got to change the message. You've got to be about something else. Your group has got to focus on something besides telling everybody about Jesus. And, and Peter says, all right, um, look, you've got to do what you've got to do. And we got to do what we got to do. That's my translation of what he said. He says, we can't stop talking about the things that we have both seen and heard. So they released them. Peter and John take off through the streets and they make their way back to Mary and to James and Bartholomew and the rest of the disciples. They begin to tell them all the different things that have happened and the way in which they were brought in and the way in which they were questioned and the things that they said and the things the Sanhedrin told them and the, the warning that they were given. And What would you do? What, what would you do if, if, if I were to come in today and say, hey guys, I just want you to know, last night, spent a night in jail. <laughs> I might not surprise some of you, okay? Um, but hey, I, last night I spent a night in jail. And I spent a night in jail because just couldn't stop talking about Jesus. And, and maybe a, a couple of, maybe a couple of our elders, you know, said, um, you know what? Uh, we were there with him. We were right there beside him. It happened. It's it, It's real. What would you do? What would you pray? See, as Americans, I think we pray for protection. And we hear this a lot within our churches. God protect us. And God keep us. And we often pray thank yous for the freedoms that we enjoy so that we might be able to assemble together And God cover us and God watch over us and God put a helmet on us and God put a dome around us. Maybe that would be our prayer. And maybe secondly, you would say, you know what? Um, guys, you just need to change what you're talking about. Guys, you just, need to, you just need to change. You need to focus on something else. You need to have something else be who you are about. Can you imagine if the 
those early followers of Jesus were to have said that to Peter and John. Say, guys, we've got to give you some security. From now on, whenever you leave our midst, we're going to give security to you. And we're going to make sure that you're protected. And Peter, you got to stop preaching, dude. I mean, you just got to stop. Every time there's two or more gathered, I know, you just want to go out and just start throwing out the message. You just got to stop. And John, could you have some, could you write some tracts on love? Could you do that? Write some tracts on love and just send that out and, and let people know kind of who we are and, and what we're about. And, and, and Peter, maybe some water walking workshops. I think people would really get into that. I mean, that'd be really great. And let's just lay low for a little while until all of this just blows over. And especially, especially let's, let's walk back from there's no other name but Jesus. I mean, there's not, when we say, talk, start talking about that, everybody gets all upset and, and, and you know, there's all these different roads that people like to discuss and they all lead to the same place and that's what the culture says and so maybe we just need to walk back this idea that there's only one way but Jesus because it bothers people and that's how sometimes we think, isn't it? It's how sometimes that we feel that the movement needs to move away from God in order to be accepted by the culture. Are you ready for their prayer? Here it goes. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 24. It says that they raised their voices together. Peter and John come back, tell the assembly what has taken place. And together, men, women, children raise their voice together to God. And they say, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. They're saying, before we ask for anything, we just want to get things started on the right foot. We want to make sure that you understand that we recognize who we're talking to. That you are the sovereign Lord and that nothing is out of your control and that you created everything. They pray, you spoke by the Holy Spirit to the mouth of your servant, our father David. Now they're getting ready to quote some Old Testament scriptures about the Messiah and how he would be mistreated. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. And now they're going to bring this scripture into their context, all right? Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city. They're talking about things that had happened in their zip code and in their context. To conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. They believed that the events that took place happened because God allowed them to happen. But he did not take a break. He was not asleep at the wheel. He didn't miss his son being crucified. Instead, it was part of his plan. Now listen what they asked for. Now Lord, consider the threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Boldness. They're asking for boldness? If you ask me, they already seem pretty bold. I mean, isn't boldness what started causing the problems in the first place? Isn't it because Peter and John were bold that they ended up getting put into prison overnight? 
Isn't it because of their boldness that the Sanhedrin says, you got to stop talking about this guy, Jesus. Boldness. They preached a sermon, 3,000 people said, I believe. They've preached another sermon, 2,000 more say, we believe. Boldness, that's what they're praying for. But I want you to pause and just think about this for a minute and ask yourself this. Do you know why this message, the message of Jesus, made it out of the first century? There's a lot of things that happen during this time period in history that you know nothing about. But why did this message make it out? Why are we even here today? Why have you aligned your life in such a way so that you said, you know what, here's what I'm going to do. It's a cold, rainy day at the beginning of March and I'm going to get up on my day off and I'm going to go to some building and I'm going to sit in some big room and I'm going to listen to some guy talk and I'm going to sing some songs and, and I'm going to pass some trays. Do you know why you're even here today? It's because those first disciples prayed for boldness and then went out and spoke as if they had it. And they wouldn't stop. It's because those first disciples had and prayed for boldness. And the crazy thing is that in today's culture, for whatever reason, the movement that was birthed in boldness now fails to ever ask for it. It's not a part of our praying. It's not a part of our plans. I want you to look at something even more extreme that they asked for. They said, Lord, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. You ever ask for that? You say, no, uh, I don't go to that church. You know why this verse has gotten a bad rap? I'm not picking on you because you might have come from that church. This verse is weird because we hear about Christians doing this in church. But what were they asking for? They were asking to be able to go out into their communities and around people who did not believe, around people who were skeptical, and to be able to do something that would cause the believers around them to go, Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about God. What if you were begin to begin to pray a version of this as a child of God? And say, God, would you stretch out your hand and do something through me? In my secular community, among my unbelieving friends, among my anti-church friends, among my friends who have been burned by religion... So often I get tongue-tied and I, I don't know what to say and when the conversation at work all turns to religion, I don't know what to do. Would you do something through me? Not for my benefit, not for the church, but for the benefit of those who do not believe. Would you pray that prayer? You see, this is important. All the miracles you read about in the New Testament were not for the sake of the people they were performed on. Do you understand that? Every single person healed in Scripture later on died. Kevin, I'm sorry to say, died. But it was a great moment. 
when he could stand up and walk. But the healing was not for Kevin's sake. The miracle was so that others... Wow! Did you see Kevin? Have you heard about Kevin? Have you heard? Have you seen Kevin? Have you seen what's going on? The miracle was so that others would say, tell me more. And let me tell you something. We have within our midst individuals who are walking miracles of God. Because God has healed you from sinful addictions that you have struggled with in the past. He has healed you from anger that used to consume you, resentment and bitterness that used to overwhelm you. He has healed you in ways that have changed the way in which you live your life and that others see you and go, did you know about Fred? Did you know about Paul? Did you know about Susan? Have you heard about Connie? Did you know what God has done in their life? You are the miracle. You are the one that God is using to get other people's attention. The point of this prayer was not some mystical, spooky, the pastor's going to lay hands on someone and everyone in the church is going to start chanting kind of thing. They're asking to be able to go out into their community with the power of God, not for their sake, but for the sake of what God was doing. And can you imagine what would happen? Can you imagine what would happen if every person who called this place home at East Brainerd would add to their prayers. God, would you give me boldness with my friends? Would you give me boldness so that I can see opportunities? And would you stretch out your hand to do something through me and my sphere of influence so that my friends, that my children, those who have written you off might look and give you a second chance? Let me tell you what will happen. You begin praying that prayer each day. And you will begin to see things differently around you. That's how God made us. Have you noticed that when all of a sudden you decide that you want to get a new car? And you go to the dealership and you go and you start checking things out online. The car that you kind of focus in on and say, that's going to be my my new mode of transportation. That's going to be my new ride, my wheels. You go out 10 minutes later and it looks like everybody on the highway is driving your car. Have you noticed that before? You thought you were so unique. You thought you were distinct. That man you had chosen. This is going to be awesome. This is going to be my ride. Everybody will know when they see this that I am the one that's driving. And then you go and realize everybody has this car. Why? Because the way God made you is that your eyes open up to those things that you are focused on. And if you start... Make me bold so that I can move people toward a life-restoring relationship with Jesus Christ. You are going to see people who you realize are ready to take that next step. And when you pray and say, God, give me the opportunity to love you more and to share your grace, you're going to be amazed at what you see. Because there are going to be those in your sphere of influence that you're going to have an opportunity to speak the name of Jesus Christ into their life. Because that is where your focus is going to be. That's how God designed us. God, make me bolder. God, give me opportunities. God, stretch out your hand. And you're going to see things that you've never seen before. All right, I'm getting excited. Let me move on. Acts chapter 4. They prayed in the place where they were meeting. 
was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And notice what they did. And they spoke the word of God boldly. Guys, the church's mission is empowered by the church's prayers. All of these things that we've talked about for the last two months. All of these slogans and the sweatshirts and t-shirts and all the things that we're talking about. And all these things that you can hear us, continue to hear us speak about. All of these things, nothing happens unless God is involved. Nothing happens unless you ask God to be involved. That's how it works. And the believers, it says, were all of one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there was no needy person among them. You see, along with this boldness, there was an outbreak of, of generosity. And as they became outsider focused, they became concerned about their community. They declared the truth of the resurrection. There was an outbreak of generosity. Guys, I want us to be a big church that prays big prayers. I do. And the way that we pray will indicate whether or not we are sold out to the mission of God. See, our church is involved in some great things. And God is doing some fantastic things through the people that make up this church body. But I know what happens. What begins like this can end up being like this. Where our attention gets off sight. We lose our focus. We begin to be more concerned about what takes place here on this campus than outside of these walls. Our EB vision will not be realized on our strength alone. The mission that we have to move people closer to Jesus can only be realized if it is empowered by and dependent on the Spirit of God. So I want to ask you if you'll do something for me. Will you add to your prayers, God, give me boldness. And God, stretch out your hand. And if you could do something in my life that would cause the people around me to go, <gasps> because I want to be a part of the mission. I want to be a part of the movement. I want to be a part of your church. So will you repeat after me? God, you are sovereign. You are in control. You know all things. You know me. So give me boldness with my family, with my friends, with my enemies. And God, give me opportunities at home, at work, at school. God, empower me through the name of Jesus for my world, for my nation, for Chattanooga. In the name of Jesus, we say, amen. Let's stand and sing.